Hi everyone, my name is Olga Zarzeczna. I'm the host of the SEO podcast by SEO Sly. Welcome to the next episode. Today, I have a very special guest. This is Dan Schur from Evolving SEO. Hi Dan, how are you doing? Fantastic, how are you? I'm doing great as well, thanks. So this is, I think this is going to be a very, very interesting conversation. Uh, Dan used to be my uh, SEO mentor. If there are people who don't know you, but I don't think there are such people, can you briefly introduce yourself? Sure, and to clarify too, you were fantastic at SEO. Technically, I was your mentor for presentations through United Search. So I just want to clarify that because you came to me like, no, like I was totally amazed at your SEO knowledge. Thanks. Um, yeah, quick background on me. So I started out professionally as a musician. I spent 10 years teaching music and performing music. And then when I moved and needed to get my, my, like build up my music studio from scratch to teach piano lessons, I built a website and then needed to attract people to that website. So that's my first experience with SEO is actually doing it for myself to get piano students. I got half my studio built back up again that way. Uh, but then I just really got interested in SEO when I discovered, I remember the moment I was in my car driving home from visiting my sister in New York City, listening to the SEO 101 podcast like this is the OG podcast at SEO and I, I realized, to it. yeah, I realized these, these guys do SEO full time. I actually didn't know that up until that point. I thought SEO was just something everybody incorporated into their website or whatever they were doing. So when I realized that I was like, oh, I think I actually want to do this. It was the most fun part about doing websites for me. Um, so then I gradually decided to move away from doing music to doing SEO. Um, and I continued helping like my dad with his businesses and his websites and SEO and a couple of friends. And, you know, fast forward through about 12 years or so of doing that, you know, at this point now I've worked with, you know, hundreds of companies across all different, you know, types of businesses and everything, e-commerce, B2B, SaaS, you know, you name it, I've probably worked with it, like directory websites, the whole thing. So um, nowadays I am an SEO consultant my wife and I own our company together. She runs the business aspect of everything and I do all the SEO work. And um, I'd say I do holistic based SEO consulting. So I do specialize a lot in content, developing content plans, doing keyword research, helping clients really understand how to make content successful for SEO. Uh, but I do a lot of technical auditing, a lot of SEO strategy. Uh, I even consult clients for strategies with acquiring links, if that's kind of the thing they need. Uh, I, I don't do link building. I've always hated it. <laughs> it's not yeah. my thing. But uh, I, yeah, so I'd say, you know, very holistic form of SEO is what I, what I practice now. And I also have my SEO podcast, Experts in the Wire, uh, as well. Yeah, so that's a lot, really. So you started around 2010. So it was like where you... How were how was your how how were your tactics back back then? <laughs> I guess uh, were so, you like <laughs> yeah I started doing yeah I started doing when it was SEO for myself it was very local based SEO so all mm -hmm. the map listings and all that stuff but surprisingly not shockingly different than now I was always a content and quality focused uh -huh. SEO from the beginning you know I entered into SEO kind of like a few years before penguin and panda and so there was already like talk in the community and in the industry about moving away from 
black hat, gray hat, all this link building stuff, stuff that wasn't like quality, you know, all the spammy things that people still get afraid of when they think about SEO now. So when I entered, I was pretty, you know, high quality focused, whether it was technically speaking, like making a website as good as possible or on the content side of things. Uh, okay. I've, I've gone back and looked at deliverables I've given to clients from like 2012. And I'm like, wow, that was kind of smart. And that's actually something I'd still do now. So um, wow. yeah, it's not surprisingly different than when I first started. Well, that's, that's interesting because yeah, the way I, I started around that the same time, maybe a bit later, but I started like from those, I would say most basic things. And I didn't really care about quality that much. I was into, uh, I think, keyword stuffing more. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, at a certain point, especially early on SEO, in all of our SEO careers, we have tried to figure out the tricks and the hacks that kind of work. Uh, I do remember, you know, trying to figure out, okay, like, yeah, if I stick, you know, all these different keyword variations at the very bottom of the page, like, is that going to help with something? Like, there was definitely some of that. Uh, but I, coming from my music background and from, and a family of artists, like my dad is an artist. I've always carried with me like a that art, artistic aesthetic, like wanting to do something that I know people are going to see, that I want to be high quality and that I don't want to be looked at as like spammy. So, yeah, sure, sure. I get that. So, so uh, because I also, uh, I, there were also a lot of like artists, a few artists in my family. So it was kind of similar, but I never really was interested at all in, in, in music, in, maybe in listening to music, but in doing it in a professional yeah. way, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of never. So you, you had no like technical background, technical, special technical knowledge, like a feel for computers, programming, nothing like that when you started. I, mean, kinda, I remember, so I'm 43 now. So I remember being 13 and in order to play a video game, you had to know the code to get into the, the um, operating system to open the software. So like, and I remember opening computers to install sound cards, like, at the computer at my dad's office, right? So I could have sound on the computer to play, you know, little stupid car racing games there. So I think early on there was definitely just, you know, through growing up in the 90s when uh, personal computers were kind of coming to be and then the internet, uh, I remember signing onto AOL for the first time, like stuff like that. Um, there was definitely a, just a familiarity and experience in being comfortable really with computers. Uh, I remember like I even did like electronic sound synthesis in college and we were programming in C sharp to make music. Right. We were oh. like programming. So, uh, you know, professionally speaking, I don't officially have a degree in computer programming or development or anything like that. But when I was doing this SEO work early on, I actually built an e-commerce website for my dad. Oh. It was fully functional. I used uh, PHP and SQL. Like I literally, we were um, oh. entering products into a database, into MySQL. Um, this was like 2010, 11, really before before Shopify, right? Before, uh, you know, WordPress was around, but it was like pretty early. Um, so, you know, it was hacky. I'm not like a developer. Um, I definitely had a friend or two kind of help me out. I read some books, you know, was finding things on the internet for how to build sites in PHP. And then I actually worked for a plant nursery and I used my same code and I 
uh-huh. gave them built them a e-commerce store. You know, it was connected to PayPal, so all the payments happened off on PayPal. So I wouldn't, I didn't take things that far in my programming. But you know, it was literally. I remember sitting. Um, I took my wife to a hair salon appointment. I was sitting there in the lobby. And I, the, my parents' website was me literally opening a text file and typing, you know, HTML and like a notepad, yeah, yeah. And notepad, exactly. So um, there's definitely a lot of that experience. I mean, I think for anybody wanting to learn SEO or become a better SEO practitioner, it does help to be a little familiar with that, or at least to know how the web works and how sites yeah. are assembled. It's really helpful. Nowadays, when I'm diagnosing some JavaScript issue or uh, like literally I was on a phone call with a client the other day where we're in uh, Lighthouse and I'm like on the fly reading through issues I've never really read through before. But I'm like Mm -hmm. talking to the developer, trying to like ad hoc kind of guide them through these issues and explain to them where they are. So it's very, very helpful as an SEO to have a tech background, even if you're a content based SEO, because you know, things come up. And if your content's not ranking because of a technical problem and you have these skills to be able to surface that, bring that to the company, you know, that's that's a strength that that's really important sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because I was, I was kind of for, for some time feeling maybe worse that I don't have like a degree in computer science or in programming. Oh, yeah. But a few years ago, I would say before I started... SEO, I think I had like a moment when I wanted to become an Android developer. And I was like, for a few months, like learning, creating some simple apps, but I kind of, (laughs) yeah, I think I, I, I like SEO more. It's Mm -hmm. kind of, I'm not that mind maybe. Yeah. And I wouldn't feel bad about that. I mean, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that an industry in the industry, because they feel bad about themselves. They want to make other people feel bad or like they need to know things that they don't know. And that's going to happen. Um, for a long time, I also felt very inadequate as an SEO because I'm like, you look at people like Mike King or people that come from being a developer, literally mm-hmm. doing SEO, and you look at them and you're like, well, you know, am, am I as good? Am I, you know, the imposter syndrome sets in? Yeah. You're kind of like, am I qualified to be doing this? Uh, but then again, I can name many dozens of SEOs that are quite technical. They're very good technical SEOs that don't develop you know, they're not developed. So um, that's the beauty about SEO is you, there's, there's such a wide range of specialties within it now. I mean, you asked about when I first started, there was much less of that back then, right? There was like SEO, right? It was like, but nowadays you've got content SEO, analytics SEO, like you name it, right? So I don't, there's not one SEO that knows every part of SEO or the, related field so yeah i think so so if you were to name your favorite part of seo your specialty what you feel like the best at what 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 would it be what it is uh so i'd say for seo specifically probably anything content related so mm-hmm. optimizing content like the whole content process planning strategizing working with writers to create and optimize and rank content is probably my my top thing. Uh-huh. Um, and can you share a few of the insights tips? How do you approach that? What tools do you use for content optimization? Yeah, how much time do you have? So <laughs> I'll take it <laughs> a little bit into the content optimization part. 
because it's stuff that, you know, out in the world of SEO, we hear a lot about things like EAT, expertise, authority, trust, and all that stuff. And I have spent zero seconds ever on EAT, thinking about EAT, mm -hmm. optimizing for EAT. Um, so I, I, so I, I think what I can share might be a little unique and maybe some people will pick up a few tips. So, um, let's assume that the topic choice is good. You've chosen something with volume that the site has a potential to rank for, right? That's a whole other process, but everything starts with topic choice. If you don't have a good topic that has volume and you can rank for it and meets your business and marketing and SEO goals, then nothing after that. Not much else after that really matters. You can't fit a square peg into a round hole. But let's assume all that is in place. There's a lot of things I look at for content optimization. The two or three big things are content structure, meaning what is your outline of the document? And there's a fork in the road here where it's either going to be a custom outline or a list-based outline. For the most part, it's like those two things, right? You're either going to have a list-based post where it's a list of examples, strategies, best practices, symptoms, treatments, you know, podcasts, mm -hmm. conferences, like name any noun or topic. And there can be a list-based post that you can do around that. And I love those because there's very little outlining that you need to do. And it's easy to know what the user wants. And it's easy to give that to a writer to create. But then you have your custom-based pieces of content. Think of like, an ultimate guide or a one-on-one guide or in the medical space, a medical condition, anything that necessitates, you know, multiple sections and uh, it's not just a list-based post, right? So mm -hmm. it's really important to get that right. And I hope, hopefully a lot of people listening to this sort of already know that, but I think we all know that, but the lack of attention that's put into getting the outline right with many of the clients and writers and editors I work with, you know, that's why I always bring it up is, and oftentimes when people look at content that's not ranking or not performing, they jump to like eat and the author profile and all this stuff. But you look at it and you're like, wait a second. Okay. The keyword is content marketing examples, but they are trying to rank or they lost rankings with an ultimate guide to content marketing. And there's a mismatch in the content type there. So if you don't have the right content type, even if it's the right topic, you know, you're not going to like throw an author profile in there and add some credible links and then rank. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not aligned, right? So structure is very important. And then I really, really like topical completeness as a concept. So mm -hmm. this is a tool that I use all the time called Content Aced. It's built by the sister of the developer of Keywords Everywhere. I'm sure everyone's mm -hmm. familiar with Keywords Everywhere. It's the plugin that gives you keyword search volume in Google as you're using it. Um, content Ace will scan Google for the top 20 to 30 results for a keyword, and it will pull the missing words and phrases that appear in all the other things. So it's like a clear scope. It's like some of these other topical tools, but I like it because it's not overly prescriptive. It doesn't tell you how many times to include a keyword in uh -huh. your And I like that because these are not keywords. They should be thought of as topics or talking points or sentiments, right? Um, and the other cool thing is if you have content in a draft or already published, you can enter that and then it will surface the gaps in your content, competitors' uh -huh. content or the content that's ranking. And um, when I work with writers, you know, the, the tool might spit back 
a cloud of like 30 words or phrases. And it is not about just throwing all those on the page. It's about carefully going through and selecting those that represent a true topical gap in your article. You know, are you writing an article about silver coins? Did you not mention like the Jefferson nickel, right? Like you want to extract, and I work with precious metals clients, so that's why I have the <laughs> example. But you want to make sure that you're writing something topically complete. So I love content ace for that. Those two things are like the big things, right? Like structure, topical completeness. But then I have a lot of subsets of things that I optimize for that are not eat. Another mm -hmm. one, what spectrum of informational or transactional is the content? So oftentimes you get a keyword that sounds like it's informational, right? But actually Google's ranking more mid to funnel or low funnel transactional pieces of content. So if you do that extra work to look at the search results manually mm -hmm. and you realize there's buying guides, there might even be actual products or category pages, you want to make sure to include language that represents things that are transactional, like for sale, um, shipping, uh, uh -huh. link over to your product page. I actually have clients that have blog posts where we embed their product widgets right in the page, sometimes uh -huh. towards the very top because it has a much more of a degree of transactional intent and their content ranks better because of that. So that'd be another area. Another area I look at is sentiment. So you can play around with Google's natural language processing API yeah. which thing, and uh, you can put your content in there. It will tell you the degree of uh, negative, neutral to positive that your content is. You can analyze the entire document. You can analyze sentence by sentence uh, and you can, what's really fun is to put top ranked competitors content in there. And mm -hmm. if you're way off in sentiment, the example I use all the time is I worked with a uh, engagement ring website and all the top ranked competitors, the positive sentiment was way off the chart because engagement and marriage and diamond rings, like that should be very, very positive. Mm -hmm. So if you have an engagement ring website, blog posts, category pages, product pages, and it's not high in positive sentiment, you're probably doing it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And here's another interesting thing too. I've, I've been playing around with that tool. I really, uh, another way I optimize content is the first sentence or the first paragraph should be on topic and also slightly positive in sentiment. That's just what I've seen throughout mm -hmm. blog content. So I had a client, they were writing um, a piece of content about nearshore development and their first sentence, when you put it in Google's natural language tool, it came up as a, with a category of landscaping because uh -huh. they said that in the digital landscape, blah, 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 blah. So you can accidentally confuse Google mm -hmm. and the wrong category. And, and you, one thing I've really focused on a lot because of things you see in search console and stuff like that, when you look at impressions for content, i really try to make sure content, the beginning of the content is on topic. And if it's about nearshore development, don't write a sentence about just business. That's what a client did actually, is they like had uh -huh. like, it's like this recipe websites where it's like five paragraphs. Yeah, like grandma. story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It don't do it. It's like that, but don't do that for a guide about something specific. We don't need three paragraphs about the business world before we get to nearshore development jump right in 
with that actual specific topic. Uh-huh. And you take your first sentence or your first paragraph, throw it in the natural language API tester and look at the category that Google thinks your first paragraph is about. And you want to make sure it's on topic. Um, so one last thing I'll give for optimizing content is the clarity of your writing. So I use Hemingway app a lot. I love it. It's a free tool. Um, it literally hasn't changed for like 10 years. It's like looks the same, works the same. Uh-huh. I feel like someday somebody's going to buy it and ruin it probably. But um, you can put your content in there. What I have clients do is try to minimize and eliminate very hard to read sentences, right? Because the tool will give you, if you use passive voice, if something is hard to read or very hard to read, you don't need to go crazy. But what I really try to urge clients to do is really, really try to reduce the very hard to read content. Because we all know now Google's using machine learning and natural language processing to understand content. So Google's reading content like a person. So if our content is hard for us to read as humans, Google's not going to be able to read and understand your entities, your topics, the people, the places. Mm-hmm. So I've had a couple of clients only clean stuff up with Hemingway and see some improvements in their rankings. Oh, yeah. That's so, a great tip. And, and Hemingway really, you can go in there and like, you can separate a long sentence and break it into two sentences. But what I try to urge writers to think of Hemingway as doing is really shining a light on where their thoughts are not clear and where they need to like either unpack something a little bit more or be more clear in what they're trying to say. And a good starting point is literally just think of a sentence as a noun verb, right? And like read your sentence. And like a lot of the sentences that come in is very hard to read. They have like five verbs in them. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of like, what is even happening in this sentence? Like break that apart, make it more clear, like, you know, spell out your idea a little bit more specifically. So those are a bunch of things that I have clients do to optimize content. I mean, there's like, once we get into, there's so much more stuff too, like image captions. Like, can I give you one more? So sure. Give me as many as you can. (laughs) Yeah. Google has mentioned uh, a, a number of times about, the quality and the topical matter of your images mattering, right? So one thing you can do is right-click on your images, uh, inspect them in Google Lens, and look at what Google thinks your image is about. So yeah. I was working with a one of these websites that ranks car insurance, and it's not NerdWallet, but it's a site similar to that. They, I right-clicked on their top image, open in Google Lens, And the descriptors for that image came in as vector graphic of car, illustration of car, which is like a little off because that's like a graphic design kind of category. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a competitor, probably NerdWallet or Bankrate or something. And their images came in as car insurance in Google Lens. Mm. And you can do the same thing in reverse image search in Google, right? You can reverse image search your image, see what Google thinks your image is about. And so I urge all clients and writers to graphic designers to try to make that top image on the page like as much of a literal representation of your post if possible and if you're working in a abstract space like crypto so i have a client that was working with like security tokens and non-fungible tokens if that's abstract type your keyword into google images and examine what they're ranking for any design similarities. And what we noticed was we typed in like non-fungible tokens or security tokens, circles, all the designs Uh have circles. 
because like that's an abstract representation of a token. Mm -hmm. Yet my client's images had all squares, rectangles, like stuff that was not an accurate, right? Representation wow. of what I, like a token is. Um, so images are like really powerful. You can, you can leverage images to further reinforce the topic of a page for Google. Mm -hmm. Things like image captions, alt text, name the file name appropriately, like all that stuff too. Um, but images can be very powerful um, to help your content as well. Okay. And talking about topic completeness, where, where do you draw a line? Because mm -hmm. you can go as deep as you want in a specific article, but where yeah. do you decide to split into a more like a specific article? Do you do siloing? Oh, yeah. So I use, the, I, I use keyword research to determine what pages should exist, right? So finding keywords that have volume, looking in Google, if Google's ranking different sets of results for two different keywords, that's two different pieces of content, that kind of thing. For topical completeness though, when I analyze those, I'm not thinking at all at that point about should we have another piece of content? That should be happening at the planning stage. Um, where I draw the line in terms of like stopping to add words is like either once the page is ranking, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's in the pudding, or once we feel like we have something that a user will actually find, like one of those two things kind of needs to happen, if not both, right? How about zero volume, uh, zero volume keywords? Oh my goodness, this, all these talking points in the SEO world, it's sort of yeah. one of these things that like, it's a catchy term, it's fun to debate it, right? But like all the zero, vo zero volume and air quotes keyword is, is a couple things. It's either a keyword somebody found that actually maps to a keyword that does have volume, right? Or it's yeah. a keyword that represents a topic and the piece of content like has keywords that have volume that ranks. Uh, or people have found something that doesn't have volume yet and is not showing volume in Google ads or in any keyword tool, yet people are searching for it. So it's really more of a data discrepancy, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is why I either plan all content with a traffic potential metric, not search volume, or I will sometimes try to seek out things that I think will trend up in volume or are not showing data yet in the tools, right? So it's like, the whole conversation is funny because, and then people debating like, should you do, should you strategize and create content around zero click keywords? It's like, yeah. if the conversation was shifted around traffic, there would be no debate, right? Because it's just like the keywords, just the proxy to get you to a topic or a piece of content. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's, that's all it is. We're not like literally going to write content that we think no one's going to visit. That would not make sense. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't really even think about that at all. I just, I try to get to a topic that's either going to have traffic potential now, or we think it will have it in the future. Okay. So I need to ask another very popular thing. What's your yeah. take? Do you yeah. use AI tools for content writing optimization or like? Yeah, I think the AI tool thing is a really interesting new, um, it's a new tool in the SEO space, right? So here are my thoughts on it. I would think of AI as AI assisted, not AI created. Yeah. So I had a client recently create uh, or start a piece of content with Jasper. Mm -hmm. uh, and But the client took what Jasper spit out and spent two or three more hours editing, reworking, yeah. figuring out the structure. And also when you're inputting things into Jasper, 
you have a lot of uh, influence over what it spits back out. You can dictate structure, other keywords you want it to include. Like, it's not just like, here's a keyword and then here's a piece of content that gets spit back out at you. So I think that AI can be useful um, to speed up research, to maybe scale content production, uh, but there's still going to be lots and lots of human interaction and editing and intervention with it. Um, but the client published this piece of content for a fairly competitive thing, and they were already ranking position 11. Like the oh. first they published it. Yeah. So I think the catch, and I think it was uh, Cameron Jenkins from Twitter. I noticed she had a really good way of phrasing this, but um, the catch with all these tools and any tool where it's pulling from Google to analyze the content is we have to A, um, assume Google's ranking good content to begin with, because that's our data set essentially, or B, like in this case of the client, it was interesting because this is a very, very new topic. It was also in the crypto space. And so a lot of what was ranking in Google so far that the tool has to draw off of is not relevant yet. Uh -huh. And then the point that Cameron was making on Twitter, well, if everyone uses the same AI tools and just drawing from the same yeah. data sets, aren't we all going to end up with the same pieces of content? Right. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, it's interesting to see where this goes, but I do think the people that are going to win using AI assisted content are going to be the ones that like, still give a lot of heavy human input into it and human editing and not think of it at all as like, hey, let's just hit a button and here's our content. And the other interesting problem I think this creates for Google, but then for us is over-indexing and yeah. scalability and crawling issues. I mean, we've already seen Google in the last year or two really, really struggle to keep up with indexing. There's been a number of problems. Uh, they're being more strict, it seems, with what yeah. content they're going to index. And I think when the helpful content update came out and Google, you know, kind of like mentioned AI content, I think that's really what they're scared of, right? I mean, they want to keep the content quality high in Google, but they're also probably quite worried about like, oh my goodness, like what if, you know, every business just starts creating thousands of pieces <laughs> of AI content. Now Google's got to crawl and index all that. Yeah. A real problem for them. Um, so I think like, you know, there's always like a, I mean, the helpful content update was PR from Google mm -hmm. and you know, there's like, that's what it was. Um, they, sure, they wanna make the results better and like help users, but they're trying to help themselves primarily, I think. So I think they're really just trying to like get ahead of the scale problem. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so too, yeah. So can you tell me more about your company? So part of what you do is of course, like this content, like entire content SEO strategy and tell me, tell me more. Yeah, I do all these content things I mentioned, um, but I also do technical audits. And, um, you know, th there's very little at this point that I, I'll shy away from handling when it comes to SEO. I mean, really, one of the biggest things I don't do is local SEO. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just like other thing. Uh, I also don't work for any like, you know, gambling industries and stuff like that. Uh -huh. so lines as well. But, uh, you know, I, I'll do something as straightforward as a company will come to me and they'll want a technical audit. I'll be like, great, do a tech audit. Um, sometimes companies will come with like specific problems and we'll enter into it from that way. Um, but there's very little, I mean, I, like I said, I won't actively do link building or anything like that. And also I do stay fairly 
like pretty much at the consultant area of things. Like I'm not going into websites and like changing things or like being. Yeah, that was supposed to be my next question. Okay. So when yeah. you do an audit, you don't implement the changes. No, I have friends. I have like over the years of, it's good if you're an SEO consultant to make friends with a few developers that are reliable. Uh -huh. um, so there's, I'll give a shout out, uh, Staten Web. Uh, Matt at Staten Web is like, I hope he doesn't get barred with people right now because I try to like keep him for myself. But he's uh -huh. been incredible as a web developer. He's fast, reliable. And I think, I mean, that's a value as an SEO consultant that you can bring to the table for clients. It's one thing that took me a long time to recognize. But um, when people hire you as an SEO consultant, it's not just for your knowledge or like you actually doing work. Uh, also, they're hiring you for your network and mm -hmm. introductions you can make for them. Um, so I've recognized that more recently as like a value that we can provide. Because when I do an audit and they don't have a developer and I'm like, go talk to Matt and Matt is fast and reliable. That's amazing for the client because we all know how um, unreliable or slow developers can be sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So this is basically you and your wife, right? Or do you have yeah. like other? Yeah, we had an employee for a little while and contractors, but it just wasn't for me. I mean, that's more of a personal take on it. I mean, I think there's people that obviously set up companies and agencies and do really, really well at that. Uh, but that's got to be a very personal, you know, decision. It's got to mm -hmm. go whether it be your goals or like, I'm just not great at managing other people. So yeah, self-awareness thing. So yeah, yeah I, I, I made basically the same decision. Yep. I don't want to like grow into an agency and there is like me and my husband as well, right. <laughs> who is an SEO too. So like two oh, SEOs. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like, and I, I, I don't want to like manage people. I, yeah, I don't think I am like a good person for that. So, but do you have a team of content writers? Uh, I also same with developers. I have developed like uh, you know business relationships with people over mm -hmm. the years too, where with writers, right? So um, writers are tricky. They'll come and go a little bit more. And like mm -hmm. these days, I do try to find writers that have some specialty area, right? Like it's hard to find yeah. a writer that's just going to be like, yeah, I'm going to research or write about anything unless company has a lot of internal resources they can lean on um but i've got like, yeah a couple like maybe like half dozen writers in my network that i can mm -hmm. reach out to and it, what clients really like is with the developer or the writer if i've worked with them a lot in the past i mean they're not my employee or contractor but it's kind of yeah. like we're a team you know so clients love when i can bring in a writer even though the writer is working directly for the client but that writer knows the way that I like to optimize content and work with me. Yeah, um, sure. So so you so you mostly work as a consultant and you have your own SEO clients, do audits. Are there any yeah. areas like are you interested in affiliate SEO? Uh, I've done done all that. Um I mean, I really really do love pub my publisher clients and I love any type of business that really heavily uh, leans on a blog or content marketing. Um, uh -huh. I do like, you know, I've done optimization of product pages, software pages, service pages. I mean, that's all fine. But the fun part about me to with SEO is very similar to being a musician or being an artist. Like I love putting out content and seeing how the world reacts yeah. to it and then continuing to work on it and optimize it. 
So that part feels very much like, hey, I'm somebody with an audience, you know. Um, the other parts of SEO are, are totally fine. I mean, I, I do them all the time, but I don't really have a um, strong preference towards any type of site. Mm -hmm. that. I find nowadays it's really a, a lot of it's the people within the companies. You know? mm -hmm. I'm working with that precious metal site for like, I think almost four years and I'm not a precious metals fan, right? And I don't particularly mm -hmm. have some sort of fondness for e-commerce over another type of business. But the owner and the head writer that I work with there are amazing. We love working together. Um, I've gone and visited them in Florida. And uh -huh. sorry about the, I don't know what kind of siren that is. Oh, I've, uh, I thought it was me. Oh, yeah. No, there's a siren outside. <laughs> um, so uh, they're, um, they're great to work with, right? And so... Mm -hmm. That and I've gone to visit them and work with them in person in Florida. Um, and so, you know, we have a nice long-term relationship. Um, and so that's that's definitely the most satisfying thing at the end of the day, I think. Yeah, yeah. I also have, have a client in Florida, and this is kind of the relation kind of a relationship we, we established over like now two yeah. years. Yep, and this yep. is like almost like friendship. So if if my right. client if Chris is listening to this, I want to say hi, because he said he, he will be listening to my podcast, so yep. I'm saying hi. Okay, so um, can you tell me now about your podcast? When did you start it? How, what are some of the numbers? Can you share some? Yeah, I can. Sh I love sharing numbers. Um, so please do. started, uh, it was like 2015 or 16. I mean, the fun story about starting the podcast was I had wanted to start one for years. Uh -huh. Like literally I have like false starts of me in 2010 starting podcasts around music. Uh -huh. And um, it was finally actually when I had our full-time employee at the time, Anthony, uh, he, through working with him, I mean, I, I do really well working with other people because they hold me accountable and like we, we kind of worked as a team. So it was really through his sort of um, help that I actually finally launched the podcast. I'm getting the um, the release date for the first 2016. So mm -hmm. that first episode, it was with Marie Haynes, who oh. is now super popular in SEO. But at the time, just like she, you, yeah, she was a little less lesser known at the time. Um, that it didn't. It almost didn't happen. I am a very last minute person. I've recognized uh -huh. that about myself now. And five minutes before her interview, I didn't know how I was going to record it. So I was Googling software to record a podcast and I found some random free piece of software because this was before really Zoom. It may have existed, but like nobody was using it. Uh -huh. And there were no other just Skype didn't record. Like there was no easy way to record a phone call back then. Um, so I was downloading it like minutes before she hopped on the line. And then when she got, I think we used uh, Skype, but I, it was the software to record a Skype call. Uh, the connection uh -huh. was terrible. She kept breaking out and dropping oh. out. She's in Canada and like, I don't know what was happening. We, so I ended up with an episode and luckily I know how to edit audio from my music background, but I ended up with a recording that was all in pieces, right? <laughs> so I had to edit it all together and stuff, um, but it happened. And I launched that first episode and like I said, that was 2016. Uh, since then, I've had eight eight hundred nine thousand seven hundred forty eight all time downloads. So oh. 
that's across 126 episodes and a couple other extra episodes in it in there that weren't numbered um so uh and before covid so i took a pause a little bit for about a year like when when covid started uh i moved all my i i started working back at home again because we were uh -huh. all world was ending and i uh kind of dismantled all my recording equipment just because of that not on purpose it just kind of happened so uh -huh. i didn't do an episode for like a year but prior to covid my episodes were getting really anywhere from four thousand to i've got a couple up to seven thousand or more downloads per episode oh, um that's nice yeah even let me let me look at the top one yeah, it, the top episode was with um, Luke Carthy, uh, Advanced E-Commerce SEO. That has 7,580 downloads. That nice. Uh, but now since I restarted again, and there's a lot more podcasts that exist now. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, congrats, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, Thanks. Yep. Uh, and so my latest episodes have gotten... 3,400, 3,200, 3,300 you know, somewhere in that range. But what I find is there's a real long tail, right? Like the 7,000 episode that didn't hit those numbers for like a year or two. Uh -huh. um, okay. Because people will go back and I, I, I see a pretty long delay in listens, right? Because the episode I published last week has 1,200 downloads, but the one I published in August has 3,300, right? So it takes three to four to six months to kind of accumulate, uh -huh. I, at least I find, because there's a lot of content out there for people to listen to, and uh, it just takes longer for people to get to stuff now. Yeah, I believe when I first discovered your podcast, I was also like, I started listening from the start, although I don't remember this episode with Mary Haynes, but I think <laughs> I listened to all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... We'll do that, and but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've had people tell me they go back and listen. Yeah. They start at the end and they'll go all the way down to the beginning. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I did that with a lot of um, SEO podcasts that I find interesting. Yeah. And yep. can you tell me uh, more about where do you host host your podcast? Do you have like a preference and some tips on that? Yeah, I host it on Libsyn. I really, uh -huh. I'm not an expert at this. I followed Pat Flynn's guide to podcasting, his original guide. He's updated it since then, but. Back in 2016, he had a mm -hmm. full guide, everything from the very beginning down to publishing. And he recommended Libsyn as the host. And then I use like Blueberry as a WordPress plugin for the feed. And, mm -hmm. and that's it, really. I mean, then I just have a WordPress website. I'm not super fancy about it. I mean, I'm pretty far behind, I think, on some of the more technical things that I could be doing with my podcast at this point. But uh -huh. So do you have a separate website for the podcast only? No, it's just evolvingseo.com slash wire. Okay. We'll get you there. I mean, I, people have told me a number of times, hey, you should have your own website for the podcast, which, yeah. But, uh, you know, for me right now, like, it's either not do it at all or just do the bare minimum. So yeah, I'm sure. opting to, like, keep it going with the bare minimum for now. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so... Um... One more question about your following. I think you have a quite huge following on Twitter. How did you like build this? Um, yeah, the, I mean, it's definitely modest. I mean, there's like Alita and people that have like way more. I think it's 27,000 or something right now. Yeah. But um, early on, it was through the, mo like basically Moz. So I 
wrote a post or two on my own at Moz. And then, then I became a Moz associate. And uh-huh. that gave me more visibility because then, uh, you know, Rand started back in the day if Rand retweeted something of yours. Yeah. Um, like you went viral. Like, uh-huh. like in, in a way, it was almost like his feed was like one of the front pages of the world of SEO. Like if he retweeted you or a couple of handful of people retweeted you, it was similar to like being on, you know, the top of like, I don't know what the community sites are nowadays, but like Reddit or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, some visibility from being a part of the Moz community definitely helped. Um, I did a little bit of speaking. And so that helps as well. Just anything you do to get in front of people. Um, but then, uh, you know, so then I was growing at a certain pace, but then the podcast kind of amplified that. Um, uh-huh. I started noticing, uh, you know, definitely followers increasing because I think the podcast creates not only another place where people can discover you, but people feel like they know you when uh-huh, you have- yeah, exactly. so, you know, <laughs> be aware of that. Um, I had a fun, like a, a very fun experience at, um, the last tech SEO boost before COVID, uh, that uh-huh. was put Paul Shapiro, a fantastic conference. It's it's too bad that I don't I don't know if it's happening or not again. But um, he he comes up to me um, at some point and and he's like, "Hey, I'm sorry, this is a little awkward, but there's a guy over there that really really wants to meet you. <laughs> Can I introduce?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Sure, great." And it's always fun meeting people. Um, there is always that funny thing where like they feel like they know you, but you don't know them at all. So uh-huh. there's a little bit of that, which is interesting, but. Uh, definitely the podcast was something that um, helped, you know, grow my audience. Um, beyond that, I mean, there's not a whole lot that I do nowadays except for the podcast because I've been just so busy with client work over the last uh-huh. two years. Um, you know, I really like I had a YouTube channel. I haven't posted a video and I don't know who, know, who knows how long on that. Uh-huh. Um, so um, but, you know, for that first like seven or eight years doing SEO, I, I did try to work hard at building my audience because that's fun and you know a lot of people will like criticize you if you're trying to be like you know popular in the world of seo but to me what it really is is it is a business asset and it does lead to actual business outcomes yeah definitely yeah i mean even networking with other seos um some of the biggest clients i've gotten budget wise have been referrals from other seos that i literally met on twitter um so there's a value to that. And, you know, you, you can do it both ways. You can be perfectly successful and happy without an audience, or you can have an audience. Uh, both work, you know? Yeah. No right or I, wrong. Yeah. I think it, it's better to have one because I've been like hiding for around eight years. No audience, no one knew me. Yeah. But then I decided to kind of come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was scared because I didn't like to put my pictures on the internet. I didn't like to show my face. I didn't even have a photo on Facebook, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of had to do that. And I think it was it was a good decision because it sped up yeah. my kind of growth and the number of clients I got, the people I got, got, to, got to know. It was like cool. And I hope one day I will be able to meet you in, in person on some conference maybe. Yeah, maybe you'll come to the states. <laughs> yeah, I'm planning. I'm planning on doing that next year. So, oh, awesome. what do you know? What conferences you had or anything? Or I don't. No? I don't. But definitely, I'm going to to the states just to like hang around a bit. So, where are you based? I I'm in Massachusetts, and uh-huh. I was going to say, speaking for myself, and I'll 
lot of other SEOs I know, we are very glad that you've been online because everything you share is like really awesome and helpful. So. Oh, that's that's nice yeah, to hear. And now getting back to sharing more because I yeah. also had had a small break because of like other uh, duties I had. Yeah. But now I hope to be able to to share more. Yeah. Okay. Now tell me uh, how uh, how does your day look like? Like when do you get up? Do you like read about SEO? Do you do client work? Do you work like ten hours or five yeah. five hours? So I'm a very I, I, in the past, like again, the first seven or eight years I was doing SEO, I did a, I did a lot of reading and paying attention to content in the SEO world. Now I ignore a lot of it. <laughs> Just what happens. Um, I think actually, funny enough, I, 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 I get a lot of stuff from clients. Like they'll send me an article or they'll mention something. So it's interesting the stuff that can kind of like just fall onto your radar because of that. Um, so my most common day will be uh, something uh, like family or home-based or activity-based in the morning. So it'd either be my wife and I live near a mountain, so we'll do like a quick hour hike. We'll do that. I'll walk a dog or I'll do like an exercise thing or something. Um, then I'm typically here at the office working anywhere between 9 and 10 probably. Uh, my day is scattered usually with client calls. So I base all my work around doing weekly calls with all my clients. Um, so I've got calls. I do work in between that, email in between that. I usually mix up my day where I'm like in the office, but I usually will try to go to like a cafe or a coffee shop or something. Mm -hmm. and I just need that. I need the stimulation and I know that's what keeps me happy and productive. So I'll do that as well. Um, not super complicated, right? I mean, mm -hmm. within every day there's chaos and there's, things that can change and be different and health appointments or whatever it is like interjected throughout the day. But, you know, that's kind of the day. Right. And then usually I'm try to be wrapped up and done between six and seven, um, mm -hmm. home, hang out with my wife, pet the dog, you know, the whole <laughs> thing. Uh, maybe we try to do something at night, like a dinner or something like that. And that's kind of it. Um, you know, that's an average day there's certainly like i said days that get a lot more interesting when like for example a couple of weeks ago our dog ran away oh. <laughs> so, in the morning so that was uh you know different right trying to find him um, what kind of dog do you have what breed he's a mutt we had him dna tested he's alaskan malamute great pyrenees lab oh. alaskan she shepherd um and we're not bad dog owners he's 12 and that's the only time that ever happened and we have oh, i have a husky and he's 12 too oh cool <laughs> Yeah, we our, our gate was faulty. Um, uh -huh. and it slipped through it, you know, because it wasn't latching. We know that now, so we've had it fixed. But um, yeah, so that's kind of our day. We don't have kids, so that's you know one thing. But we do have you know nieces, nephews, family members nearby. So there is family uh -huh. things that we do. But that's kind of. I mean, it sounds simple, but like these days, there's a lot of chaos. <laughs> Whether it be you know busy client work or busy you know, stuff happening in life or whatever. So uh -huh. that's kind of it with the schedule. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, so really like, it, I, I have no rhyme or reason to my podcast. It's whenever I book somebody, it's all random. I have, no, I know some people that are very diligent where they like every Monday from like one to five, I'm going to work on my podcast. Right. That's not how I operate whatsoever. It's very random. Um, uh -huh. So it, it's, it's fortunate. I have clients because, I schedule things for them and that forces me to be 
you know, diligent with scheduling in that way. But anything where I'm not accountable to another person, it's completely random. There's no schedule whatsoever. And did you find that being that random with your podcast uh, can has negatively influenced like the number of downloads or those people who are just subscribed and whenever you publish? Yeah, I don't download. know. What's funny is like we don't know because you wouldn't know unless I did it the other way, right? So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know people that are very successful, like publishing literally the same day, the same time every week or whatever that works, but I probably wouldn't have a podcast if I had to do that. So I'd say it's working better the way it is now because I at least yeah. I actually do something. So sure. I'm I'm trying to 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 do it this way. We'll see how it works. But yeah. yeah. Are you <laughs> we'll see. I'm trying to publish twice a week. Twice or yeah, at least twice a week. One 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 post podcast is with is with SEO news and the other one is the interview. But yeah, that's we'll, awesome. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, you're really good about creating content and like I feel like one of your strengths is like executing on things that take a degree of planning and they they you don't just sit down once and do it, right? Like you, uh -huh. have, you know, yeah. I'm very not successful at stuff like that. So, I feel like <laughs> you have a you have a good advantage with that kind of uh, schedule. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so a final tip, what do you think is the area of SEO that people should be like focusing more now on and aren't focusing on enough? Uh, let me give you a couple of things. So we talked about AI content, definitely that. I still think JavaScript. Um, I uh -huh. saw that report that came out the other day. Google takes nine times as long to process JavaScript than HTML. Yeah, yeah, I read that too today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm working with sites that have JavaScript rendering challenges. It's not as, it's not like in the past it was, you were invisible, right? Now it's like, should you, you should still try to render things in HTML uh, server-side for Googlebot so they can see it because you're still probably a bit better doing that, even though Google can process everything for the most uh -huh. part. Um, so I think JavaScript SEO. And then I, I'm going to be a little like uh, uh, provocative here, but I'm going to say not eat. I think <laughs> there's way too much focus around eat. Uh, you can be very, very successful. Like eat is the last bit of icing on the cake, mm -hmm. right? It's like, sure. It's not that I don't advocate for showing an author or credibility or whatever the eat signals are and things like that. It's just that it's not the thing that causes a piece of content to rank or not. Right. And the other problem with it is it's very like broad and site-wide perspective. Like SEOs are trying to find these things that are like a silver bullet. They can fix site-wide. Right. And just like, let's improve our eat score and make the whole site rank better. But, you, you, you know, it, there is no eat score. Yeah, there's no eat score. Right. So I, I think I think a lot of people would been, like imagine in your minds if you're listening. Do SEO for like a month without even thinking about eat. What would you do? Right. And you'll find there's a lot of much more specific things you can do to improve your SEO and your content. So that's uh -huh. all. And for people who are just starting out with SEO, what would your advice would be who want yeah. to start in 2023? Um, I think it's still valuable to build your own site, even if it's WordPress. Uh huh. It's either build your site or have the experience of like either just tangential business or having empathy for what that means or having a make an affiliate website where you try to write have some sort of awareness of a few things beyond SEO that give you that context. 
Because I think the problem is if you dive right into SEO, you get too tunnel visioned on that and you are always missing the bigger picture, right? Mm -hmm. So build a website or um, do marketing at a business that's broader than SEO or build an affiliate website, right? But also, um, and I have a video on this, there's a few common resources I always recommend, right? So the Google Webmaster Guidelines, the Moz Beginner's Guide to SEO, um, Bill Slosky, RIP, read his top 10 Google patents to know about, read, read that post, um, or listen to my podcast episode. We, we did, Bill, Bill and I did two episodes where he talked through 20 of the top patents in the world of SEO. Um, and it's a mm-hmm. great couple of um, That's the fundamental of SEO, right? Like, how does Google work? What are their guidelines? And then how did just search engines work, right? Like, if you're trying to do SEO, but you don't understand discover, index, right? discover, yeah. call, index, rank, display, and, fil- and ranking filters, like, if you don't understand just the basic function of how a crawler and a search engine works, right? I mean, you're going to be kind of feeling like you're in the dark a little bit, so... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a great tip. So now it's yeah. time to do you. Oh, we have already done one uh, shout out to an SEO. Who do you think we should be following? Oh, goodness. Well, besides you. Um, Thanks. Who should we be following? <laughs> um, let me see what my Twitter feed and see. Even these days, I have barely been paying attention to Twitter, but mm-hmm. let me just pull up somebody that that I, I would recommend here that I think you should follow. Oh, goodness. There, there you are. Um, who to follow? The trouble, like I'm looking at, a lot of these people are great, but they also share things beyond SEO. And I always feel like I want to mention somebody that's like stays a bit more on topic. Yeah. I mean, everybody's probably following Alito. She's amazing. You should follow her. Um, oh, my goodness. There, a lot of these people on my list, like they barely even tweet anymore. I miss these people. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm scrolling by a lot of people that, you know, uh, like five. They went to uh, Ma- Mastodon or what? <laughs> what's that? This must Mastodon, this new oh, network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all moving to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Follow you. Follow uh, Alita if you're not already. Oh, goodness. Who who do you follow? Who do people follow in SEO now? Maybe you have a suggestion here. Do I have a suggestion? I I think I, it should be a prior. Everyone probably is following that person, but I would I would recommend following Mary Haynes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good. Yeah, man, I really need to update my Twitter list. I'm looking at this, and these people either don't do SEO anymore, they don't tweet anymore, or they tweet oh. very off topic, or they weren't SEOs to begin with. So, <laughs> yeah, I need to figure that out. So, okay, uh, I'm sure people can. Can, you can go to my, so I have a list of everybody that's been on my podcast. Oh. Uh, which you can go to my Twitter list and get to that. So maybe that's a good answer to. Okay. Okay. I will provide the link to that. Okay. So where can people find you? Twitter, but you don't yeah. pay attention to Twitter that much any longer? Yeah. So, so I, 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 it might just be a phase. I'll be back, I'm sure. But it's D A N underscore S H U R E. And mm-hmm. then I'm on LinkedIn a bit. It's Evolving Dan. For, goes along with my company evolving SEO, and then the podcast Experts in the Wire is another good good spot to find me. And evolvingseo.com is my website. Okay, great. It was it was a great pleasure, Dan. Thank you for for taking time, and I really learned a lot, a ton. Cool. Thanks for having me.
So, so thank you and thank you everyone and see you in the next week. Bye-bye.